Begin driving. Are we there yet? No. Are we there yet? Welcome to Noam on the Move. A podcast looking at how transportation evolved throughout the years and how disruptive technologies will continue to transform it. Here's your host, Noam Metal. You have reached your destination. I'm pleased to introduce today's guest, Gary Thomas. Gary is the former president and executive director of Dallas Area Rapid Transit, or DART, which provides transit services for 13 cities in the Dallas, Texas region. He's been with DART since 1998, leading the organization during massive growth in the light rail system, local bus and paratransit services, and really one of the pioneers on a lot of the technology implementations. Prior to DART, he was in the consulting engineering space for 19 years and has served on the Transportation Research Board, TRB Executive Committee, and subcommittees on planning and policy review, and is a past chair of the American uh, Public Transportation Association, APTA, Rail Evolution, and Southwest Transit Association. So quite the repertoire and experience uh, that we have here today. Gary, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Noam. It's very uh, it's very good to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. So with all of my guests, which come with extensive backgrounds in the mobility and transportation space, I usually like to start from the beginning, which is how transportation relates on a personal level. So you manage an organization with thousand employees that manages uh, how people move around the Dallas region on a daily basis, thousands and millions of trips. But how does the transportation relate to your personal trip, your personal journey, and, and what connects uh, to you on that level? You know, it's, it's a great question. When I first started doing transportation, I hadn't really thought about it. Didn't, it, it wasn't where I started my career uh, at. I have degrees in engineering and a degree in architecture and uh, worked for a consulting engineering firm for many years. And uh, along the way, that consulting engineering firm got uh, a, a DART project. And so I began working on, on transportation and specifically in transit. And I enjoyed it. And the more I did, the more I enjoyed it. And eventually, I thought, you know, this would be great a great way to spend the rest of my career. But I wasn't really interested in moving around the country, so I wanted to stay put. And I, I eventually made that transition from the consulting side over to the agency side. But I think the, the more uh, the more telling uh, reason, uh, certainly after I thought about it and after my my daughter, quite frankly, presented it to me, the story is a little bit. Uh, it goes like this. She came to us. She came to uh, my wife and I about six months after she graduated from college. She worked for a big accounting company, working crazy hours. And she said, Mom, Dad, I'm going to quit my job. And I'm going to go work for, uh, she's going to be an associate youth minister at a small church near her house. And I said, well, that's great, but how do you, how do you argue with that, right? You know, it's, and I said, but you're not going to make very much money. And she said, money isn't everything. And finally, we got down to the, you know, you're not going to be able to shop where you normally shop. You won't be able to drive the car you drive. All, you're going to have to move back home, live with mom and dad, all these things. Finally, we got to that question of why are you doing this? And she said, uh, she said, I want to be able to make a difference in my community. Uh, wow, that's uh, that's pretty powerful. And when you think about it, that's really what most of us really do want to do. We want to have that opportunity to make a difference in the community we serve. And as I thought more and more about that, I thought, 
you know, isn't it incredible that when you work in the transit space, you get to make that difference, that positive impact on people's lives every single day. And oftentimes we don't think about it until you look out, in, in my case, I'd look out the window and see all the people getting on the, and off the train or on and off the bus. And all of a sudden you really do realize you really are making a positive impact in the way people live every day. Absolutely. And I guess that follows on to an interesting question that's very uh, relevant given today's discussion on the bill that's passed, right, that gives $30 billion to transit agencies across the country, much needed, I would say, in terms of the budget uh, deficits there. Sure. So you talked about transit as a service to the community, and there's this balance, right, between an agency that has budgets and revenue model, operating model, and, and quite frankly, most agencies have been in the red, very few are in the black in terms of their operations, Right. And then the need of moving people, some of them sometimes from lower income uh, in neighborhoods that are dependent on this transit for economic vitality for their work. So how do we balance those two concepts and and where do you think the, the scale tips? Is this Should we think of transit more as a common good that is a service that should be provided by the government? Or is this something we should build a more equilibrium, sustainable business model for transit agencies across the country? You know, when, when transit started, if you go back, at least in the United States, if you go back, gosh, to the, the late 1800s, and it wasn't just in, in the big cities, New York and, and San Francisco and others. I mean, actually, Dallas, Texas, transit started in the late 1800s, as it did in most places across the country. But it was really a for-profit kind of business at that moment in time. And in many cases, there were mule-driven uh, or mule-pulled cars and then eventually went to the railroads and, and buses and things such as that. But it, it really did start out as a profit kind of business uh, orientation. And over time, that changed. Uh, somewhere it changed. And I'm sure a lot of historians could tell me exactly when, but it changed. And it, in transit became more that opportunity for people to get to that better job, to get to the doctor, to not necessarily have to own a car and for different reasons, different people have either chosen to not own a car or can't afford to own a car, or you can't afford to own a car and you've chosen to take transit because of whatever other reason, whether it's traffic, uh, the environment, all of those things that come into play. And as you look at transit models now around the world, most have some some type of subsidy that they're provided, whether it be, in our case, through a sales tax in some cases, the, the uh, state governments uh, provide some type of funding. But across the, the, the world, they're all subsidized somehow. Uh, very rarely does the fare box actually cover the cost of the service. And so as you, as you think about that and as you look at it, if you took that subsidy away, most transit agencies would certainly go away altogether. How you manage it with that subsidy is is certainly individual to each agency and and specific to their their customers and their ridership. In our case, uh, we have a very strong sales tax base, which provides a lot of our funding. And then, of course, the fare box uh, provides some level of funding along with other, whether it be advertising or property opportunities, different things like that. Oftentimes, people say, well, you need to run it like a business. Well, perhaps to a point, 
That's true. I mean, you need to run it smartly. You need to be good stewards of the dollars that you're uh, that you're allowed to use. That's all certainly true. But but there's also, I believe, a responsibility back to the community, a responsibility to the community that you serve and a, a responsibility to make sure that everybody has the same opportunity to get to that better paying job, to get to the grocery store, to go to the doctor, to get to the entertainment center, wherever they want to go, whatever their circumstance or situation in life is. So I guess I, I, you know, I would probably land on the side of it being a right. And I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective, but I, I very strongly believe in the equity opportunity mm-hmm. for everybody. Let me challenge you on that one a bit. So if we think about it as a right, and you talked about starting off transit started as mules that were providing the service all the way to the evolution of today, the, the fixed route buses, the operational cost of these buses is absorbent, oftentimes half empty during the pandemic, sometimes fully empty, unionized crews that you have to write, uh, run on the operation side in terms of the bus drivers, absorbent cost that are not very flexible to the demand and supply of, of ridership. So should we be thinking of the model that we have today? And in fact, there's an article today in the New York Times that just talked about more buses everywhere. Now, you could argue what type of buses. So should we think about that operating system in terms of just using the methods that we have today, fixed buses, the way we're operating, or is there a better way for us to become more nimble, and smarter with how we're, we're using the dollars? It's got to be a combination. And again, from my perspective, as far as the way you manage your agency, we have tried to tailor our service to the ridership. And, and you're exactly right, Noam. The, the ridership has dropped significantly during the pandemic, as we all are certainly aware. And it's, it's starting, uh, starting to come back. It's starting to grow again. Uh, will it ever get back to where it was, grow past where it was? I don't know right now. And, and everybody's got an opinion on what that future looks like, whether it's a two-year or five-year horizon, whatever that might be. But I think it is important that, again, that we're good stewards of the dollars that we've been allowed to use for this service. And in our case at DART in Dallas, uh, we've tried to match the service to the ridership. But we also have to appreciate and understand that we don't go everywhere. We don't, uh, by doing that, we don't offer service in some cases every 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Uh, In many cases, at best, it's uh, 30 minutes right now and maybe even longer. So uh, understanding that that doesn't work for everybody. What we really ought to be thinking about is how we combine all the different transportation modes is certainly now during the pandemic, I think we've all learned how to shop online a lot better. And, and if I go uh, to my online my, source. My wife has learned that too well, I should say. <laughs> I think we all have. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if the doorbell rings during this conversation <laughs> uh, to let me know there's something on the porch. But the point is, is you can go to your, your online app service, whatever it is. And it will give you a choice of where to buy the product that you're looking for, how to pay for that product that you're looking for, and how to deliver the product that you just bought. And that's what we've become accustomed to over the last 12 months. Actually, we started beyond 
uh, 12 months ago, right? We just really got a lot better at it in the last 12 months. But but we started that process before. And as a society, we've become very accustomed to having the instant gratification, the instant response to whatever we do. And, and transportation shouldn't be any different. And if you go pre-pandemic, we actually were seeing this happen. Uh, we were seeing people start to migrate away from the fixed route bus, the fixed route train, where it maybe only came 30 minutes and said, I'm not going to wait 30 minutes. I'm going to call my on-demand service and they're going to come pick me up and they're going to be here in six minutes because the app tells me and it actually shows me where they are and I can follow them all along the path. So it gives me that comfort level that they're really coming to get me. And, and maybe it Maybe it says six minutes and maybe it takes them seven or eight. But the, but the point is, I can see them. I know they're coming. I know they're about to be here. And again, it's that knowledge uh, of knowing that it's about to happen as opposed to, and remember, I've, I've been in the transit industry for a long time, but standing at the bus stop for 10 minutes and say, I don't see my bus and it ought to be here in three minutes now. And I don't see it. I, you know, is it coming? Is it not coming? We, we in the industry have got to acknowledge that 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 doesn't work going into the future. Number one, buses can be incredibly intimidating to ride. If you've ever really thought about it, getting on a bus, if you've not done it every day, getting on a bus and saying, okay, I'm going to trust that this bus is really going where I want it to go. How do I get on? Is, is the, the operator going to open the door for me? Are they really going to stop? Do I have to do something special? When I step on, what's going to happen? How do I pay? Uh, am I going to be embarrassed in front of everybody else on the bus? Where do I sit? All those things are incredibly intimidating, and we don't often appreciate that. And so from a customer service perspective, we need to acknowledge that, number one, it can be a little intimidating to ride a bus. If you go to another country, how often will you get on the bus versus get on the train? How often will you actually try to figure out the bus schedule as opposed to the train schedule? You'll get on the train more often than not, but to sit there and really to try to figure out how to ride the bus. And, and uh, like you, I've been to a lot of different countries around the world, and I'll, I'll challenge myself to figure out the bus system. And sometimes I can do it, and sometimes it beats me. But the point is, is number one, we have to make our services easier to uh, and understand the challenges that the customer is going through. And we also have to understand the cha challenges that that customer has. What is their specific need? Is it the least costly trip? Is it the quickest trip? Do they need some type of mobility device to get around? Mm -hmm. So they need lifts. Do they really want to ride a scooter? We as a transit agency ought to be able to put all that together. And that's what we haven't thought about. So let's talk about that altogether or that, that one platform to rule them all, because that's widely discussed and people refer to it as uh, mobility as a service of multi-modes sure. of transportation, the Uber and Lyfts of the world, you have the micro-mobility, all these different modes of transportation. And yet there's a disincentive almost, if you think about it, for some of the private sector partners to really just say, okay, here, we'll give you all of our information. Here, it's on one public app that you can choose what you want, right? Because they want to keep that right. proprietary nature. So there's this dilemma in the industry in general around uh, building out 
mobility or, or transit services on the application side, whether it should be something that's driven by the private sector or the public sector, like you're talking about kind of ruling it all and having one stop right. shop. Right. What do you think is the right way? And, and how do we manage that tension and conflict? I suspect the right way is probably different for each community, e- each location, certainly throughout the United States and around the world. In our case, and let me just talk about what we've done in Dallas for a minute. And if I could go back to 2013, in 2013, we started uh, using a mobile ticketing app. And the reason that we used a mobile ticketing app is because we didn't think we could afford a smart card. And so at, the, at that moment in time, 2013, seven years ago now, people, and, and actually it started before that, people in our industry, uh, the more uh, progressive agencies in the industry were using smart cards. So we said, well, that's cool. We ought to do that. And then we started pricing it. And we realized it was hundreds of millions of dollars to, to implement a smart card system in, in a system such as ours. And we said, well, we can't afford that. So we said, what's the next best thing? Well, the next best thing seven, eight, nine years ago was mobile technology. And, you know, so, so quite frankly, we got into this accidentally. Uh, we didn't really realize what we were embarking on. We were just looking for a lower cost entry into an easier way for our customers to pay for the trip. So we, we went out with our procurement. We got a company out of Copenhagen that was very familiar with doing this kind of thing in, uh, in Northern Europe. And so they came over and they started helping us develop this payment app. And uh, shortly after we introduced this in 2013, I was on a panel talking about this wonderful app, GoPass app in our case. And uh, and the person next to me on the same panel was from Uber. And this was, again, you have to remember, uh, Uber came to Dallas in 2012. So here we are a year later. Nobody really knows who they are. We're introducing this new product. We're on the same panel together. Afterwards, we both realized that we're probably competitors, but we don't really know that yet. And so we meet each other. We get to know each other. We like each other. And we say, we ought to figure out how to do this together. And it really started us down this uh, interesting path to figure out how to start to merge all these different things together. And it's taken a long time. Initially, Uber was like, we got to have this done by the end of the week, you know, (laughs) everything by, by Friday. And of course, a public agency in our minds by the end of the week meant, you know, two years down the road. Uh, that, that was how uh, quick that's short term. That was short term. Uh, how quick they moved versus how quick they uh, we moved. We finally got to that point, and all of a sudden the roles reversed because now they've got a little more competition. They've got a little more uh, time under their belt, and we're ready to to make that leap and combine their data with our data. And all of a sudden they realize, you know, our data is special, and we're not sure we want to share our data with you. So now we have to find the in-between place uh, where, where we can both coexist. And that's uh, that's That's a tricky one. So yeah. I guess that's a good, so for our entrepreneurial listeners and uh, those that want to uh, shake up the, the, the transit space and the transportation space, one of the known challenges, for example, when we talk to investors, often what investors, venture capital investors looking from the outside they're not familiar with the space, they'll say, oh my God, working with government, that must be a nightmare. So 
how what what advice would you give for some of the companies, startups, innovators coming into this space of how to effectively break through some of those challenges and work uh, effectively with with the government and public uh, transit and transportation agencies? Sure, and I'm actually going to start by flipping that question a little bit and say, what should transit agencies do? Because it, it really you have to have fixed a willing partner. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, fixed procurement, but you have to have a willing partner. And so for for the last 100 plus years, you know, we haven't really had to do that. We've kind of done it the way we've done it. And by golly, if you want to ride the system, this is when the bus is going to show up. This is when the train's going to show up. We'll make sure they're clean and safe. And you can either get on or you don't have to get on. You can go do something else. And, and so we have to change our thinking first as a public entity. We have to think about the, the whole spectrum, making sure that we really respond to our customers' needs and not just provide something and say, here it is, hope you ride it kind of approach. So it, I think it starts there. And then from the, the private sector side, you have to understand that, that things are hard on the government side. We can't change things immediately. I mean, if we change service, uh, in our case, there's actual laws that require us to do public hearings before we can even change service. And so it's a, a four to six month process, even for us to change bus routes around. Mm-hmm. So so you have to understand that, that, again, our speed, and we joke about it, but our speed is uh, is glacier-like compared to a private sector. And uh, so the, the process takes a little bit longer. The politics and the public policy questions are going to be very influential in our worlds as opposed to just where it hits on the bottom line. And uh, so, you know, we have to understand that we're coming at things from two very different perspectives. But I think once you do that, then it's easier to get back to why are we really doing this? And again, most of us come back to that point. We're really trying to make that difference in our community. We're trying to serve our customers. Your customers, my customers, they're the same people, but but maybe we're coming at their needs from two different perspectives. And how do we do that better? Yeah, I, I would almost summarize that to say what I've noticed is private sector oftentimes comes at it and um, we've spoken about this from a, a ROI perspective on the dollars, right? How do yeah, I yeah. invest and introduce a new product and get a higher return on that investment from a benefit, from a value proposition that I provide? And that's right, right. a totally legitimate market approach. But sure. from the government side, often that value is not in the currency of dollars. Sometimes it is revenue or savings, but more often than not, it has to be combined with a benefit to the public and to the community Right. which is much harder to measure in dollars. It's oftentimes, I would say, more measured in public opinion. And yeah. so yeah. that's a, a, an important currency for a lot of the companies to understand. They have to convert. It's almost foreign currency. You have to convert your <laughs> dollars into public opinion and how your service that you bring to the table translate for that agency on the other side of the table. I suppose it's a little bit like Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> here it is and now it's gone. Yeah, <laughs> um, but but you're 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 exactly right. We do approach things from a very different perspective, but our end goal is still very consistent with what what we're trying. We're both trying to achieve. So when we meet at the table, we just have to understand 
I need to, to better understand what your motivations are. You need to better understand what my motivations are. And, and we do that through communication. And, you know, isn't it funny how communication ends up solving most of the world's problems if we really just did it effectively? Yeah, 100%. So let's talk a little bit about the future. So uh, I like to often in this podcast look backwards, right? And we've talked a little bit about some of the transformations that the transit agency has undergone and under uh, your leadership at DART that you've experienced as well. Tell us what you think is on the horizon in terms of the next big thing or innovation that perhaps we're not thinking about. So everyone's talking about autonomous vehicles or connected vehicles. What's the thing that maybe we're not paying attention to that beyond the horizon that we should be looking at? Well, and I'll back up to, to maybe not the horizon necessarily, but to, to right here uh, where we are and maybe right in front of us uh, from an agency perspective. You know, we've developed this app that I was talking about, and we really do have on that app, we've, we've developed to the point where we have on-demand services. Uh, we have Uber Pool. We have uh, our vans. We have trains and buses. So the, uh, scooters, we have scooters on the app now. So all those things are on the app and we combine those. We're about to add traffic uh, because, again, you, you know, it's a little creepy when I get in my vehicle in the morning and it says, oh, it's 630 in the morning. You must be going to work and it's going to take you this long to get there based on current traffic conditions. It's still creepy, but, but wouldn't it be better if it said, oh, it's 630 in the morning. You must be going to work. Here are your options. Here's how long each is going to take and here's how much each is going to cost. Obviously, as we all know. Driving your car, you may, some people may think that it's only the cost of putting gasoline in that vehicle, but it's not. It's a whole lot more than that, obviously, the maintenance of the vehicle, but but all the, the cost that goes into developing and paying for the roadway network and everything else. So there's a cost to all those things. So, so our goal in our agency is to continue to expand on that platform. I certainly want people to do shared rides. I think that's critically important. Buses, trains are part of that. But I also understand that, that we have to look at the whole network. And that ought to be an availability. It ought to be available to people. It ought to be an opportunity for people to make those decisions. And going into the future, I think really, as you look at whether it's autonomous vehicles or uh, flying taxi cabs, whatever it is, and they're all, you know, as you know, they're all right in front of us. So these things are happening. They're all in test mode now. I think it's still important from a consumer perspective that I be able to access those things and plan my journey using all the different modes that make my journey unique to me and most suited to me. And it ought to be a combination. If I choose for it to be, it ought to be a combination of those things. And right now, you know, it's very limited as we do that. As I've been to uh, different parts of Asia and Europe, and I've looked at how they've done mobility as a service. And everybody's doing it a little bit uniquely. Everybody's doing it how it fits their community. But we've got to get to a point where you can go anywhere in the world and use a a similar kind of platform. You, You do it with Uber. Now I can go anywhere, almost anywhere in the world, and use one app to get where I want to go on Uber. Why can't I do that? for the entire spectrum of transportation choices. And that's what we're really focused on at DART. That's what we've been pushing. And I think as we look into the future, certainly there will be autonomous vehicles, buses, all of those things. Uh, 
there'll be flying taxi cabs. As I said before, those things are happening now. Uh, it's really how we combine those modes. And from a consumer standpoint, how do I take advantage of all the different opportunities? We definitely have a ways to go because that is a massive challenge. So uh, sure. one that I, I know will take us many years uh, continuously to, to solve one final question, I guess, uh, moving to another topic. So I know you're retiring uh, from DART. What's the one thing you're looking forward to doing that maybe you haven't had the opportunity uh, during your busy tenure there? You know, the, the, the good thing, yeah, the good news is uh, that, that I've been able to learn a lot. Sometimes it's from successes, sometimes it's from uh, disappointments, but I've learned a lot. And so what I really am looking forward to in this next uh, step, this next chapter, whatever it is, is, is sharing that with other people, uh, helping folks understand better what worked, what didn't work, uh, where those pitfalls are, uh, how to avoid them, uh, at least based on my experience, and you know how to be successful and how to make that positive difference in your community. How, how can you best impact and influence the community that you live in and so uh not that i'm you know not that i have uh the, the answer certainly but just to be able to share my experiences with other people whether it be on a large capital construction project uh, those that went well those that didn't go well why what do you need to look out for how do we start to put together mobility as a service across the country those are the things that i'm really looking forward to I have a feeling that some of our listeners will take advantage of uh, that open uh, invitation to uh, get some of that uh, wealth of advice that you have. Gary, I want to thank you for joining me today. Fascinating conversation. Thank you so much. Noam, thank you. Thank you for what you do at, uh, at WayCare. I appreciate the impact that y'all are making on the communities that you serve. Appreciate that. Thanks, you Gary. You bet.